You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate, we're here to listen, we're here to process, and we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not gonna do. We're not gonna be preachy because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person and that starts with our personal, personal check-in. Yeah, let's do it. Jess, are you there? I am, friend. I, have I know to ask you can't you, see me. I have to ask you because we're having technical <laughs> difficulties and it's really ironic because of all days, I know. this is our I know. 50th episode of the Jess Podcast. Five zero. I think it's, is it prolific? I was about to say half a century worth of uh, recordings, which was going to be really inaccurate because 50 years, (laughs) Jess, 50 years of the Just Podcast. Can you believe it? It's almost unbelievable. It's it's almost a little unbelievable. We just, we were really pioneering the the field back in Trailblazers 1971 when we started. When color TV was just a thing. Uh I don't know if it Uh was or not. Who knows? But seriously, what we are not joking about is this is our 50th episode, which is a huge deal. It's kind of amazing that we've done this 50 times. I know. So you keep up with the stats on life. First of all, hi, everybody. Those who are watching us on YouTube are going to be like, oh. I we don't showed, see we Jess. showed a picture. Or maybe you'll be like, thank God. For our I don't audio see listeners, we showed a picture of Jess waving because she can't get on video. But we're still hear, hearing her loud and clear. But we held up a little her waving picture for our, our video folks. Yeah. Just to let you know that it's a real thing. Yeah. But 50, 50 episodes is a lot of time with you, friend. <laughs> <laughs> That, you made that sound like it could go either way, whether that was good or bad. You kind of, you, you just it's, towed the line. It's all good. It's all, it's always all good. But that's awesome. We've spent a lot of time unpacking this idea of justice and, yeah. and speaking to some incredible people. I feel like we need to do like, I don't know, a toast, but I was wildly unprepared for that. And it is 1130 in the morning. So I've got coffee. I, not to be outdone, I, I joke with you offline that I, I got all dressed up now, for our video listeners <laughs> who see me. No but for audio, I'm just wearing a sweat, a hoodie, um, yeah. just do, doing the regular thing. So we'll have to figure out some way to stamp yeah. this outside of the fact that I think we have one of the guests that I, I say this all the time and I feel like people don't, they're going to stop believing me. But I really do. I get really excited about this. This is going to be a special 50th episode because I think our guest is really up to the task of meeting meeting this <laughs> moment. He's holding up a baseball right now. I think we just need to. Should no, we just we'll co- dig in? Maybe Are we, we should. Are we going to check in? Oh, can I just do a quick check in? You should. Because I always, I don't often have kid updates or son updates anymore because he's in college. And yeah, I guess us, once they go to college, they, we can't they, skip. We can't skip the personal check in on our 50th episode. We've got to, okay. we've got to stay true to who we are. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So can you ask me formally so I could be like, yes, why? Yes, I do have a check. <laughs> wow. Okay. If we, are we amateurs again? Have we forgotten how to yeah, do we this are. podcast? No, our people love hey, it. They love it. Jessica, we're so weird. how are you today? Yes, I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for asking. You're thanks welcome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> this is the moment where we do our personal check-in. And I would like to share my check-in from this weekend. Do tell. Yes. So, I'll, you know, our listeners by now know I have a 19-year-old who's in college in Florida And Saturday, he, nope, I'm making that up. Thursday, he, I hear a door ring and my door's ringing. I was like, okay. So I go out, I see a a box and I'm like, oh, I miss the UPS guy. And so I look to my left, there's this box. I look to my right and my six foot five son is standing outside my door. He's supposed to be in class. You know what I mean? In Florida. (laughs) I was like, so my first instinct was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see you. Big hugs and all the things. And then the mom thing kicks in. I was like, dude, what are you, aren't you supposed to be right? What is happening? Right. Right. And he was like, it's the county fair or not the county fair, the state fair. So he used his own actual real money, got on his own, his plane, his not on his own plane, but booked his own flight, came up here. I saw him for two hours that day. We hung out and caught up. He left, he went to ECU to hang out with friends and went to the fair. And I saw him for 20 minutes before he headed back on Monday. So I saw my, my kid was in town for five days. I saw him for two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. I have two follow-up questions for this story. Okay. One, 
what was the significance of the box? Was it connected to, did he bring you Mm. anything back like treat wise from the fair? The answer to both is no, no No. significance. The box was unrelated. That was just like, I got, I got no gifts, no treats, no fried Oreo, whatever, nothing. But I did get two hours and 20 minutes with my I love that very you, independent. I love that you know it to the minute, how much time it you spent. It was two hours That's and 20 minutes. It was, yeah. My very sweet, very independent son. So that was my, that was a really, that was really cool. Really yeah. great check-in. Son, ton, tons of I fun. And I'm glad to be able to share that. The surprise so, visit to mom. About, That's right. You know what I mean? That's good. He still loves me. And I paid his tuition today. So there's another. <laughs> That's probably another reason why. Oh, maybe he was just trying to firm that up. That's He's right, like, just sure. in case, mom, just That's don't right. forget about That's me. Right. Oh, friend, you have four of these moments coming along the way, but not anytime soon. How are you and the, and your kiddos and your wife? Hey, we're doing well. And your life. We're, life. Life is good. Life is good. We can't complain. This is the, I'm really enjoying the, the weather this time of year, being outside with my family has, has been beautiful. Just being able to sit outside, watch them play in the backyard. I'm having puppy probs. Is that a thing people mm-hmm. say? I probably, no. Sure. I don't think. No, that they didn't don't, sound, but we that can felt do really, it. Yeah. That didn't sound right. The This dog that we got that our listeners heard about, if you've been listening to this season, we did that whole COVID puppy thing. He's not sleeping mm-hmm. through the night, so that's not very fun. It's, it's taking me back, Jess. I thought we were done with that, like with kids. Mm-hmm. Our youngest is now three. All my kids are sleeping fine. Here I go getting a dog. And now I'm going backwards in the life stages where I'm now having to get up a couple of times a night with this animal, which I do love. Hear me. If, if anyone from PETA is listening, I, lo- I love this dog, but I don't love it as much as my children. Whatever is in, inside of you, the love that bowls over mm-hmm. that like makes you get up and care for a kid, that doesn't feel the same for an animal Mm-mm. in the middle of the night. I'm with you. you know? There's a lot of people who will disagree with that, but I'm totally, you just Maybe. have to love the dog a little more than sleep. Other, and, and that's the I, is heart. Is that bad to say and I don't? I don't love I the dog more than sleep. I'm, Do I you love your dog more than sleep? I Well, that's a whole nother episode. The have you ever had to choose? My, the way that I gave my dog away, I guess is the answer to that. <laughs> Oh gosh, you're right. That is a, that's a bonus episode that comes at another time. That maybe it's its own. That's why I said it's another episode. I'll tell people I co-parent my dog, but I haven't okay. seen him in a year. This is going to be how we celebrate the 50th episode or the 50th year, depending on how you interpret the data. We're announcing a spinoff podcast where Rob and Jess talk about their dogs and mm. animals in general. It'll be a short. It'll be a short series. Probably okay. won't have Let's as much not. of a runway. We're gonna lose. We're gonna lose followers. Let's move cr- to our guest. Right. Well, and our guest is super fun. So he doesn't care. He's over here throwing a baseball. He's currently playing baseball in his YouTube. living room. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't even care. <laughs> yeah. For our listeners, today is a real treat. We are. I, I meant it when I said it earlier. This it worked out really beautifully. I've been trying to get him on our podcast. He doesn't really believe me that I've been trying to get him on this podcast for a long time. So I think I have some maybe relational repair work that I have to do here. But it's true. I've been following this guy. I call him a brother, a friend, have so much respect for the work that he does in our community. But Royce Hathcock, are you on the call? Can you hear us okay? Put the baseball down and press unmute. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Just Podcast, friend. I don't see Jess. Is she here? (laughs) It's the voice. I am just the voice today. Yeah, we're, okay. she's just going to be hovering just audio, aud- audibly today, okay. not vi- visually. But if you, we held up her picture. So can you lock that in your brain, Royce, and just I, imagine I her it. being a part of the conversation? I got it. The The voice matches the picture. Aw, <laughs> I hope good. that's good. <laughs> I think it, it is. be a whole lot of things. <laughs> that's great. You got, hey, you got a great podcast voice, Jess. So, hey, that, I think that's Thanks. a compliment. All great right, to so, see you, Royce. Glad to have you on, friend. Honored to get to hang out with you guys for the historic 50th episode. Hey, we're, we're making history, and I think you're gonna you're gonna help us make history today, Royce. This is a, we're, we can I don't think I could hype this conversation up enough. I mean that. So for our listeners, I want to do I want to set you up, and then we're gonna dive into as everybody now knows. We love just want to hear your story, want to hear you tell it. But maybe I can get some of the logistics out of the way so that you can give us the the behind the scenes. For those of you who don't know, Royce Hathcock is the senior pastor at Tapestry Church of the Nazarene. And he's also the executive director for Neighbor to Neighbor Outreach in Raleigh. Royce grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. So this is actually a shout out, call back back to episode one, our, where our guests also hailed from Phoenix. We started out the gate with OSHA. Remember that one, Jess? His life changed in 1982 yeah. through a basketball outreach at a church uh, where he came to know Jesus Christ. In 1984, he felt a call to reach youth and headed to college to study youth development and ministry. 
Royce met his wife, Julie, in college in Oklahoma while attending Southern Nazarene University, marrying after their junior year, locking it down before graduation. I love it. And upon graduating in 1988, they moved to Los Angeles to study urban ministry at the, I'm going to mispronounce this, Royce, Brisset Foundation? Brisee. Brisee. Okay. And go to- The founder of the Church of the Nazarene is Phineas Franklin Brisee. There it is. There it is. 1895. You got knowledge now. I got it. I got it. And then went on to grad school. In 1989, he was hired in the youth division at, as a program director and became the director for the youth division in 1995, running a holistic youth development program for youth in downtown and South Central LA. And then in 96, he came, he went West Coast to East Coast, came all the way here to Raleigh and see him, Julian, and his two sons to help neighbor to neighbor grow from a community or form a community outreach into a comprehensive youth and community development nonprofit. Royce now has two grandchildren, Liam and Owen, three and a half and 15 months old. So, hey, he knows about, his sons know about not sleeping, so he can relate in that way. In addition to loving young people, Royce enjoys reading, playing cards, every kind of sport imaginable. He's a Lakers fan, Dodgers fan, which is good good timing to be a Dodgers fan. The Kings and, of course, the Blue Devils of Duke University, which, oh, I guess we could get into that a little bit in this conversation. But all right, that was a lot. And our listeners, there's a lot, there's a lot of different threads we could pull on, but I'm going to just turn the floor over to you, Royce, and say, before I do that, I'm going to say that you've been somebody that I've seen as a mentor in community development work. Although I've been spending the last seven years based in Durham, when I think about anything happening in Raleigh, and the epitome of people who live out the values of this podcast and, and kind of the work that, that I aspire to lift up in community development, your face, your name, and neighbor to neighbor are always at the tip of my tongue. And I, I'm in that 100% sincerity. You're the model that, man, I, I've been looking to for a long time. You've been shaping my work from afar, from across Highway 40 for some time now, man. And so I'm really thrilled that our listeners get the privilege of just getting to know you, getting to know your story and just hearing from your wisdom because you've been about this work for some time now. So I'm going to, we're going to turn the floor over to you, react to any of what you've heard so far. I know we kind of monologue there for a little bit, so you can speak to any of that if you'd like, but we want you really just to jump into your story and tell us what our listeners haven't heard yet. And really, more specifically, what led you to community development work? What is the why that kind of got you into this whole thing? Great. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. And I thank God. God has a sense of humor to use the three of us together. That shows you God not only exists, but he has a sense of humor. But I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. So thinking about my life growing up in Phoenix, I'm from a single parent home. So me and my mom never knew my dad. I have a relationship with him now that's about 15 years old just different people in and out of our house and our lives and growing up in a neighborhood that was becoming a neighborhood of transition. So it was an older white neighborhood that had become inner city and very mixed. And so that's the the world I grew up in, which I'm grateful for to grow up in a community that was African-American, Latino, Native American, and white folks as well. And my mom tried to keep me out of trouble. So playing sports, uh, baseball, basketball, football, and those seasons gave me teammates and friends and, and people. And so that was really my life. And then never had any experience with church or God. We were probably, I don't know if we were practicing atheists, but we certainly didn't have any faith. And so literally I was a person that did not know what Easter was, what Christmas really was, and various you know religious types would knock on the door of our apartment building and tell us either we're going to hell or invite us to a pancake breakfast or hand me a coffee mug with a cross in it and give me a track, try to come in my house. But, but all of those people, whether they were Gideons or Seventh-day Adventists or whatever, in my world then, that was just all one group of people. And I never really give, had given any thought about it, which is hard to believe in America. There was a Baptist church around the corner that we played basketball on their parking lot. There were several goals. And on Sunday nights, we'd get kicked off of there. And we would play longer than we were supposed to. And then they would come out and we'd play until the next point. And then sometimes the police would come and we'd be removed. And so that was kind of my impression of, of that world. I went to an inner city high school and it closed after my sophomore year. So this is 80s, y'all. So like 80 to 84, think Lakers, think that world. And I went from a a very diverse school to an all-white school that had power, prestige, and privilege. 
And so I went from warming up to more bouncing the ounce to ACDC, <laughs> right? But that uh, change of zip code, if you will, really is how God was instrumental in my life. And so, of course, I wanted to be on the basketball team and all that kind of stuff. And so the coach, a friend of mine brought the coach to the park that we all played ball at. And so that summer, this man showed up and and I wanted to know him because he was the coach. And this Church of the Nazarene had an air-conditioned gym, which is great in Phoenix. And they actually paid for that air conditioning, which is great. So you would go and play basketball in the middle of the night, you get some snacks, Gatorade or some oranges or something. And then they'd slap this uh, New Testament down in your lap with a basketball player on the front. And that was the beginning of an encounter for me that I'd never had. The scripture I read in John, it's the one where Jesus says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the the comforter. And I read it um, that he will send the confronter. And so mm. I read it uh, incorrectly, but I was being confronted. Um, I was scared to be there. And they had this basketball trip to, the, there's a Nazarene college in San Diego called Point Loma, Nazarene University, beautiful place. And to, to be on the team, you had to have X amount of attendances. So Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday school, those were the options. And you really could miss about two and have a shot at it. And so all of a sudden, I had to do all this stuff that I'd never done in my life. And at first, I was very uncomfortable, but I began to listen and I began to see that these people weren't weird. They had something different about them. And I began to listen to them and pay attention. And God was confronting me. And one morning, just in a regular prayer time, I just said, God, whatever's going on here, I want that in my life. And Jesus changed my life. And soon after that, my, my mother also came on an Easter and she didn't have any church clothes, you know, so she came in one of her club looking dresses and low cleavage and the whole nine. And, and I was ashamed. I was ashamed that my mother walked in that place of my other world, of my church people and, and my neighborhood mom. And God got a hold of her. And before my eyes to this day is one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen. This woman that was very just struggling in life in all kinds of ways. And, and she was transformed before my eyes. I say that to just I thank God. When you think about places that have shaped you, my community shaped me. And then the Church of the Nazarene shaped me. And those folks started telling me I was going to college. And I never had that vision for my life. My mom was like, just graduate from high school, get a job. And so the, my senior year, I got a, a calling, if you will. And, and in a church service, this president of a college came and he was going to be in the NBA. But God had already asked him to be a missionary. So he never went to the draft. And, and then, and so... That sermon was when God called me to, to ministry, and I knew that I was supposed to go reach knuckleheads like me. And I tried to tell that to my pastor and my youth pastor, and they're like, look, let's just send you out to college. You're new in the Lord and this and that. I'm like, look, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't know what all that meant. So I went out to Oklahoma and I went there initially to play basketball, ended up not doing that, wasn't ready to be a student athlete. And God was really taking that basketball away from me and saying, I'm going to give it back to you if you will make me first. And just went there to study ministry and never quite fit. I was always with the outreach kids and these churches that I went to. And there was just something else there. And so I, you know, I met Julie, married her. She's amazing. I thank God. And then somebody came and spoke from the Brazil Institute, which is an urban training center in Los Angeles. And so we were trying to figure out what we're going to do when we graduate. And we decided we had an internship with grad school. And so we went out there and my first year of marriage, so second year of marriage, we moved to Los Angeles making five fifty a week, <laughs> you know, 550 mm. bucks, you know, and, and that place is what was transformative for me. That was 1988 that we moved there. And Los Angeles then, the 80s in Los Angeles is like Chicago today. It was intensified of the drug world, of the violent world, of, of gang shootings, of violence. And that place is where I saw that I had a white Jesus, that I had and been given a Jesus that was not the real Jesus. And so in that place, I was introduced to Christian Community Development Association, John Perkins. And to answer that question, how did I get into community development work? It was really going to Los Angeles and really studying urban anthropology and then doing urban anthropology, studying liberation theology and living 
in a neighborhood, in a community, and, and figuring out what does that mean. And so that was my first exposure to read Malcolm X, James Cone, James Baldwin, Gustavo Gutierrez, the whole liberation theological piece of really helping me see larger into what does it mean to be a follower of Christ in a place that is desperate, that all around you, there was all kinds of things going on and crushing people. So that was that beginning there, that first year in Los Angeles, just flipped the tables. Like when Jesus went in the temple and flipped the tables and got the whip out. And, you know, I like that angry breaking chairs and tables, Jesus. And he came in our lives and disrupted us and really showed us like, this is what the kingdom is versus what church is. And and that's when my eyes were open and, and really found my place and what I was supposed to be doing in the world and being a part of with God. Oh man, that's so good. Uh, I wish you could see my face. You could just imagine, maybe. Like all of the like leaning in, I'm leaning in on your story. And the reason I'm leaning in, Royce, is that I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, obviously, but I'm really compelled by one that you shared, like this, I don't know if we call it conversion stories, but how you came to know Christ. And so many of us like were raised in the church. I was not. I was one of those that that found Christ and got baptized. I got baptized early, but didn't know what was happening. I got baptized as an adult. And so I think there's something really interesting about that story that leads to your work. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you don't know Christ and you've been raised in a neighborhood or in a community or in a family where that's just not a thing and you, you are, you've grown into it, you're able-bodied, you're able to make decisions and you say, this is the life I knew more bounce than ounce, right? And then you go into like, here's Jesus. And you're like, okay, what is that? How does that work for me? How does that work for me in my community, being in a, a diverse neighborhood where the diversity of thought is so different? What is what has Jesus got for me? And so I'm putting a little bit of words in your mouth, but I think that when you're not raised in it, when you're not taken to church every Sunday and this is your religion, that's a different experience where you have to adopt and decide for yourself if that's what you believe at some point. But you were given an opportunity and it evolved into this choice that you made as an adult to say, I want to follow Christ and I'm going to listen to the direction and the guidance in my life to take this journey, this spiritual journey and this faith journey with him. I think that's pretty cool. And so I, my next question was really about, so last week we talked about this, these ideas of the parish model where you really dig deep into community. You don't go broad, you go deep and you invest in the people, the community and the lives that are around you, like drawing a circle around the map. And with neighbor to neighbor, you have been doing this thing for 25 years. And that's astounding to me. And just, it's a long time. I know we joked about it earlier in pre-show, but it's a long time because it's not the way things happen these days. People are real fast food. We move on. I'm one of those people. I do things for three years. I'm off to the next. My legs stay curious. I have all these different things. And what it sounds like is that you've doubled down on this work over and over and over again. And it's a it's not unique, but it's so unique in this day and age to see somebody invest that deeply and for that long. And so there's a lot to be learned there. I'm curious if you were to go back to 1996, which would be 25 years. I did that quick math. It's 1996. I was a sophomore in college. So with, oh, hey, that was Biggie, Tupac. Oh, there's right? Gangster's Paradise. That's right. Tup- Tupac died in 96. Yeah. So. There's a lot. There was a lot <laughs> happening. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot happened in 96. And that's when you kick this off, neighbor to neighbor. So I'm curious what advice you would give yourself if you were to go back to 1996 and you knew everything now, what would you say to yourself? What's that advice? Yeah, I appreciate what you're talking about. And when you think about a parish type of model and really that the piece of sticking and staying mm-hmm. of, of really standing in a place and say, what does it mean to follow Christ on the corner of Blunt and Bragg, where we are today, in the middle of a historic African-American neighborhood, Bragg Street, that has been the place that you could buy narcotics. And there's misguided entrepreneurs there every day, where women are addicted and sell their bodies, where black bodies are dehumanized and not cared for in so many different ways. And, And to say, I'm going to follow Christ on that corner. That question has to be the dominant piece of the parish model to stick and stay, 
to listen. And when I think about looking back, those are the things that you really want to say to people that in a world where where pumpkin spice, Jesus ministry, where we, we're so professional, do we even need the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yes, we do. And But do we listen anymore? Do we do life with people? Do we neighbor? And that's a, a big piece of it. I would hope that I would be able to 25 years sounds like a long time, but the way I really look at it, the door is just starting to crack. It's just getting interesting. People begin to say like, well, maybe you will stick around. Maybe you're not somebody with a white attitude. Maybe you're not going to do a Christian drive-by and and shoot me up with the gospel, but instead you're going to be a neighbor and make neighbor and prove yourself neighbor. When I think about the time that advice, I would hope that I would stick and stay in that and encourage others to do that. The church needs to be engaged in community development world. Living in Los Angeles taught me that. I was ordained in 1992 in June, and in April, the civil unrest happened with Rodney King. And that event forever changed me as well, because there's this connection to not only what does it mean to follow Christ, but there's these things that generationally continue to happen that we ignore. Mm. And so they they do another study after the civil unrest. I lived inside of that civil unrest and my neighborhood was burning, right? Mm. My neighborhood was being looted. Young people were being put on the ground, police, all these different things. And so you live in that and you realize that, you know, I was born in 1966 and the Watts riots were in the early 60s. King was killed in 68. And then in 92, we have Rodney King, and then we have George Floyd. And so we we see in the Kerner Commission report that Johnson did after the Watts riots um, and all these civil unrest that happened all over the country, that report lays out clearly that the United States and its policies and decisions has created environments that stoke these fires. And, and, And we have had opportunity to change that, and we haven't, and it'll happen again. And so for me... That piece of advice today, I tell young people, young leaders, be bold. Young people want you to be bold. And I tell anybody that says they have any kind of faith at all that we must keep the moral window of racial equity open. We can't let that window close. We have to all see through that lens. Otherwise, in 20 years, it'll pile up again and it'll happen again. And so there is this opportunity. Heck, even NASCAR said we need to check ourselves with these Confederate flags. And that's one of my things I want to say in church is, come on, church, shame on us if NASCAR can step up before we can. Mm-hmm. So those are some things that I think about is that in church, we want to play nice. But the reality is, is God wants us to deal with these isms and schisms. And to be a neighbor, we know evangelism, but we've forgotten what neighboring is. And neighboring has to do with being connected to bodies that are discarded, bodies that that have trauma, bodies and people that have the wounded man in the Good Samaritan passage in Luke 10. It says a wounded man. The real language means someone that was on the edge of death. What we realize in that passage is that if we're not connected to discarded bodies that suffer injustice and violence, we actually can't be neighbor. We can't prove ourselves neighbor or be neighbor. Now that's disturbing. People don't want to hear that. But the reality, there's a reason why justice and righteousness are the same word in scripture. Mm. You don't get to be righteous without being just, and you don't get to be just without being righteous. You know, it is a bloody thing to do, and it's what is necessary. So I try to drive that forward in my life. I want to be that person. And I feel like that's what God's church is supposed to do. But we have to prove ourselves neighbor. We have to put ourselves on the path of discarded bodies. And if we don't do that, we can't get bloody and we can't neighbor. So those are things that I try to push forward. Because when you get old, you just tell stories, Jess. That's how it works. I like storytelling. Storytelling is real and it brings it to life for us. So I appreciate Mm. that. And I really appreciate neighboring versus evangelism that stuck out to me in a big way i think Mm. that this idea of pumpkin spice would you say pumpkin Pumpkin spice spice jesus yeah that's jeez pumpkin spice jesus and neighboring versus evangelism hey keep the story keep the stories coming is what i'm saying because i mean that's that's it that's it for me
I want to go a little deeper on that term sticking and staying. This advice that you would put to yourself 25 years ago. You've seen a lot of stuff. 25 years in a single community. You mentioned the corner of Blunt and Bragg. I mean, you, you know the circle on the map. You got the four corners of your block marked and, and you've tread them. And those trails are, are treaded with your footsteps and the footsteps of folks at Neighbor to Neighbor. I also know that, man, that's when you think about what rock community has just been evolving constantly in that time frame. It's hard to think back to what even the neighborhood looked like then, but you've also just been ha having to evolve your ministry to adapt to a changing community, whether it be gentrification, which is feel like that's, that's been a long arc now. We're starting to see these buildings pop up, but it, you've been seeing that for a while. Unemployment, talking about recidivism. What are those issues that kind of feel like have been risen to the surface that you guys have had to really meet head on over those, the course of that 25 years that stand out to you? And I, I want to flip the coin and this be kind of a two-part question because I think people are more familiar when you and I sat down ahead of me and my family thinking about before we moved to Southeast Raleigh, right? And kind of got proximate to, to neighbor to neighbor to seek your advice. Like, how, what does that look like for me to do this? Because I knew you were already in this space. The narrative out there was already, hey, what's wrong with this neighborhood? And people can name that, especially if they're outside of it. Okay, let's let's talk about what's missing. Let's Let's look at this through a negative lens. But you mentioned CCDA and John Perkins. They've been pioneering this work of asset-based community development. So I guess the second part of the question is, what are these hurdles that have, you've had to face when it comes to, you, you said it, we got to put ourselves in the path of discarded bodies. For people who don't know, what are the ways in which people are being discarded on the corner of Blunt and Bragg that you've met head on by cultivating the assets of the community to fan those sparks into flame? I'd just love to, I'd love to hear how you speak to that. Yeah, well, again, how you see is what you see, right? And and CCDA would really ask us to not start with the negative, but really see it in a community because it's a beautiful community. It's a strong community. You know, African-American people are tremendously strong. They persevere. Any people that is that is really deserved to take every weapon there is and do away with people that look like us, but they haven't. They are the remnant in my view. So I'm honored that people make space and let me be in that space and, and gain every day. With that said, because of the dynamics of, of America and our institutional racism and injustice and our policies that have taken land from people and pushed people into places. We've created conditions for extreme challenge and we've discarded people. We've created places of that are a frying pan for trauma. And crime isn't a crime issue, it's a health issue. And if you live in a place that is challenged in many different ways, you're gonna be a product of that environment. And data says, we're all products of our zip codes. Zip codes provide mentors and opportunity and vision and resource. And so there is places in our country, rural and urban, that lack opportunity. Uh, and so that creates this kind of shaping. So in our neighborhood, an old historical African-American community, uh, Southeast Raleigh, our particular neighborhood's called South Park. Before integration, it was a middle-class neighborhood of African-Americans, professors, professional people. There was over 100 businesses downtown that were a part of that. And, you know, over time, dynamics happen. And so land is taken, people are pushed. Today, of course, everybody knows about gentrification. Our building was in the New York Times article about eight years ago now that was showing the fastest gentrifying neighborhood in, in the United States was our neighborhood and she'd see a you'd see a shotgun house next to a half a million dollar home you know and that dynamic is still going on our neighborhood is also a re-entry community uh, so we have people that are returning from prison because it is a neighborhood that has lots of rooming houses rent rooms that type of thing it's also an entry point for people from other countries so we have that dynamic going on to the Latino folks that, that enter into the, to that area. That is a kind of an entry point neighborhood. It's a young community as well. So there's children and moms and families. And then there's all these new people coming in as well. So gentrification is a real deal. Again, reentry, homelessness, mental illness, like these are, are things, again, bodies that are discarded in different ways. The budget tells us what we care about, what we don't. 
So inside of that, in our parish model, what does it mean to be the church there, to, to say you know Christ? Over the years, we've as we've engaged with people, you get to know people's journey, their life, and, and you begin to start with the basics. You know, some people just need an ID, and other people might come to Jaws for Life. And then and over time of listening to people in Jaws for Life classes, people begin to be interested in entrepreneurship or enterprise. And so over time, which sounds like a long time, 25 years, but in communities that have been discarded and forgotten, as I said, the door has just been cracked. It really has. And it shows you the wide range effect of policy and institutional injustice and racism and how it can permanently leave something affected. Today, an example, we have this thing called neighbor enterprises, and that came up out of the community. Our model is listening to people in the community. And so we believe the answers are already in the community, but the, the resources that maybe are more financial or people will come with gifts, talents, and abilities. They just need opportunity. They need bridges. And so we've really tried to live in that CCDA vein of coming alongside people and listening. And so everything we do today comes out of those listening relationships as well as the adaptations or the, what I would say, what is bubbling up next, you know? So this has to happen for this to happen to this to happen. And, and God works that way of giving us something right in front of us to be obedient with now. So the last two years, we, inside of our model, we have programs that are for profit and for those, those companies and really they just support that work. So they don't support the nonprofit, but it is a program in the nonprofit. And there's a, there's a catering company. There's a moving company. Uh, we just opened a cleaning business and we're getting ready to launch the landscape business. And we've also sold vegetables out of our garden. We sold solar lights with youth. We are engaged in this idea of entrepreneur entrepreneurial thinking inside of a capitalistic society, how can we do jubilee in that? How can we make sure we're not capitalists? And how can we do jubilee? How can we create living wage work? How can we create uh, leadership and opportunity for people where none may have existed before? So that is uh, kind of an example of some of the ways. The other ways are finding ways to partner with people. And that sounds great, but collaboration is challenging. People have philosophies about how they do things. So you got all these people that work with youth, but on paper, they all have philosophies of how they do that. So there's client organizations, which there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's relational organizations, which there's nothing wrong with that. And we fall into that vein. There's collaborations that work and then the money is gone and they bust apart. And there's collaborations that are able to stay together and keep doing the work. These types of things need to happen. The other piece is really accountability of the powerful. And so that's something we're going to talk about some more. Mm. But there's this larger systemic thing that we have to work on. And then there's the everyday thing with people as well that we have to care about our neighbors enough in our community to hold the powerful accountable by organized people and organized money to get policies done that affect everybody and not just people that create more tax base, but everybody. So those re-entering our society from prison, those entering into our country, your everyday teacher and fireman that would like to buy a house in Wake County, but they can't afford it. So these are different things that you try to engage in and approach, right? And find partners that have that same heart for neighboring, as I would say. Royce, you just gave me an alley-oop. Thanks, friend. Appreciate that. Because um, I want to talk about One Wake. That was perfect. This idea of, well, you spearheaded this, and, and maybe you can t give us sort of the impetus, the background a little bit. But talk to our listeners about what One Wake is, because you just set up the last couple of minutes of that answer around partnerships, that it's difficult to create collaborations, that it just isn't easy because everybody comes to the table with their own mission, vision, values. What? How do you find that through line? And so... One Wake is committed to this idea of bringing together religious organizations, faith-based groups, nonprofits, associations around goals, theory, thought, and understanding it. I'm over here in Durham County, but I used to live in I used to live over there where y'all are. So tell me, um, tell us a little bit more about One Wake and and what led you to driving that initiative. Driving and spearheading is a little strong. I was invited to the table and years ago we had started another affiliate of uh, One Wake is from the Industrial Areas Foundation. 
So they are the oldest community organizers in the United States. You can look them up. And Sal Linsky is the founder in the 40s. They've been organizing in the United States and around the world. There's about 70 affiliates in the United States. There is, so about 20 plus years ago, they started Raleigh and Durham at the same time. And the Raleigh one only lasted about four years. And so then it closed. And then about four years ago, they came about again about, we need to get this thing going. And so the organization launched about a, uh, a year ago after really building relationships with people for about three years. And so in Durham, the affiliate is Durham CAN, which is Congregations, Associations, and Neighborhoods. In Chapel Hill, it's Justice United. And then the one in Raleigh is called One Wake. And so this is right now uh, a collaboration of about 50 faith-based organizations, associations, neighborhoods. It's the rainbow of, of faith and people. So there's Muslims, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, and there's people from associations and neighborhoods, there's Jewish folks. So you have you know, the major religions and, and anybody's welcome to that table. And, and it's really this idea of, of really politics without a party, if you will. It's really no permanent enemies, no permanent friends. And it's based around the concept of really organized people and organized money creates power. And so that power is not in anybody's pocket. So every candidate is invited to the table and we'll work with anybody that wants to work with the agenda that has come up out of the people. The agenda is created by conversations in communities and, and all the communities all these folks are from, as well as where they might attend and worship in neighborhoods, different areas of the city. And so we, we gather that information, that data, and then we have an internal assembly where we vote on issues we think we can win right now. And then we develop committees to work on those. We train everyday people to learn how to be community organizers, how to work on this stuff. We find out who's doing what in affordable housing. And then we do our own research. We come up with a proposal. And then we then get to the tables of the people that are in charge of those things. So the county commissioners, city council, mayors, municipalities, developers. And we get to those tables and we bring out proposals for them to react to. Mm. And then we begin to look for compromises, ways we can work together to get uh, a better deal than is currently on the table. So right now we're working on affordable housing, living wage work, and education. And so we have research committees on that. We have proposals. And we are really working on organizing all of Wake County. So these organizations are from all over Wake County. And, and then we also unite with our brothers and sisters in Chapel Hill and Durham as well looking at organizing Wake County itself. So how can we work on these different issues is what we're working on. So we have a couple of initiatives right now. We're working in Cary, working on a, a penny increase there to create money for affordable housing. Something similar was done in Chapel Hill a few years ago, created like $4 million for affordable housing. We're working on some stuff in Raleigh, and we're also working on some things in, in uh, kind of the Wake Forest area. There's a trailer park there that has been bought by a developer. Those people are all going to be displaced. So we're working on that. So those are some examples of how we can get involved. And, and it makes politics more real because me as an individual pastor or citizen, I can go down and they could treat me like I'm the best person in the world. Oh, that's that neighbor guy. And hey, vote for me. We're going to do affordable housing, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is now there's all these people that are behind us. And so we support each other. And we also represent 20,000 voters. If people don't want to come on board and work with us, then it sends a message to everybody that these are our, our partners right now and these people aren't. And we might need to find some new partners. Mm. So that, that's kind of how it is, politics without a party. We set up meetings with city council individuals. We get to know them. We do relational meetings. And we find out their passions, their hearts. And then we really begin to find out, okay, tell us about where you're at with affordable housing. And let us tell you where we're at now. Hmm. Would you support this proposal that this has come up out of 20,000 people? Would you be interested in coming behind that? And if so, here's our recommendation. So that's how it plays out. It's beautiful. It's respectful. But it's also, it's powerful. And power only recognizes power. Mm. If you have power, you just don't wake up and say, I'm going to share it. You have to 
they have to make a decision and look at One Wake or Durham Can or Justice United and say, they have enough power that I have to recognize them. I have to let them, I have to talk to them. I have to bring to the table with them. I have to deal with these folks. But the reality is that they didn't have to do that. They would find a way to put us off. So that's the, the way it works, kind of the old school citizen politics, community organizing. And it's important. It's super important work. Right now, there's nothing affordable, right? So it's even for what they would call, you know, just working people, right? If you're a teacher and you want to buy a house in Raleigh, good luck. So anyway, I get I get excited yeah. about that because when you get older, you get a little grumpier and you want, you want <laughs> justice to be done a little quicker. And so it's a way to be before people that can make those decisions and you can put some pressure on them to make those decisions mm. and hold them accountable. Power needs to be held accountable. And just like we all do. Jess, you need accountability, right? Uh, uh, every day, hey, every we single all, day. We all it's probably why it. my son flew home. He was like, I think my mom's out of control. Let's just check in on that. <laughs> <laughs> Royce, I, man, I, I'm really thankful. And just hearing for our listeners, I, I've known a lot of this following your journey for some time, but it, it's so invigorating. I don't know, just to hear the, the trajectory and evolution of your ministry and its focus. It's almost like this visual of you, you're starting out and you still are, running a nonprofit that is known most for mentoring young people in a neighborhood. That's what it says right there on your, I mean, on your website in bold font, right? It's, it's about mentoring relationships that result in communities of hope, justice, and compassion. But honestly, that talk is cheap. A lot of people use that kind of words, but you've, and maybe just stay at the relational, which is like at the surface. I just get this vision when I'm hearing you talk of, you're, it's like you're, you got the shovel in your hand and you started with relationships. And you've just been digging, man. And you've been digging for 25 years. And that has led you from, you haven't abandoned, you're, you're still doing those mentoring relationships, but it's led you as you've worked with what you say, you discard people who are being discarded. It's led you to be a social enterprise incubator. You're spinning off now for for-profit businesses to create jobs for the people in your community. And if that wasn't enough, now you're, you're digging even deeper to get to the institutional barriers that are preventing and blocking opportunity that are keeping people from flourishing in, in your community. And so you mentioned the Good Samaritan earlier. I get a sense, man, that you are, and Neighbor to Neighbor is, because I know it's not just you, you and your team are embodying not only the Good Samaritan story of you're stopping for the discarded folks on the road, writing the check to get them bandaged, and you're taking the time to walk alongside them for as long as it takes. But you're, you're going so much further than that because you've noticed, man, why are all the bodies piling up on this road? I'm going to go and I'm going to organize some folks to talk about getting this road fixed. We're going to fix the roads, which I think is a quote from another pastor, Charlie Dates up in, you mentioned Chicago, yeah. right? I don't know if there's beef mm -hmm. between Chicago and LA, but hey, I, I think we got to give him a shout out. That's a powerful YouTube video. If you haven't looked it up, that I ran across this past year when everything's going nice. down. But all right, that was a long preamble, more so just a comment. I'm going to get to my question here. So you mentioned One Wake being, one of the things that make it distinct being this rainbow coalition across faith groups, which is such a beautiful picture of rolling up your sleeves and finding common ground and not letting, okay, things that really have been distinctions keep us from partnering together with people who could be really strategic. You haven't let that get in the way. You say, hey, we can find common ground across faith, lines of faith difference. That's been kind of our whole theme for this season three, is this idea of fusion friendships, these relationships that are formed across, around common passions, across difference. Has there been a particular fusion friendship? You had to name one. I know you can, you probably can name a thousand. But over the 25-year arc, or even in the past year, if you had to pick one that has been especially meaningful for you as you reflect back on your ministry, which one would it be? That's a tough question. I think in being in a space like One Wake, it gives you uh, a place to gather that people are intentionally community development people. So they're motivated by faith and justice and people. And then you build relationships. You go on a journey together and you get a window as people make space. You get a window into what is it like to be a Muslim in America? What is it like to be a, a Jewish person? What is it like to be in this different faith or space? And how is that feeling in a, in a white cultured America that is built around Christianity, right? So the men and women, and, and there's a steering committee 
that I've been honored to, to be a part of. And I listen to these folks, you know, but, you know, Jamon Taylor is, is one of the African-American pastors that's near me. Over the years, Apostle Philip Walker is probably the first African-American pastor I met in Raleigh that I've done lots of things with. And the initial IAF that we had in Raleigh, he was a part of that steering committee group. And we've done different projects together over time. There's there's just a lot of different people. There's a Catholic priest in, in Cary. He is a Monsignor, so he's the older. And we hang out and I call him my priest and he calls me his pastor. And he's older than me and I get to sit around and listen to him and it's beautiful. Women in leadership, I think about that. And Lisa Yoboa, a lot of people know Lisa, a good friend of mine, and I love her so much and what she's got going on and super excited. She's a part of this journey of One Wake and letting her voice be used of God in that space. So those are some folks. I always have to mention too, when I came to Raleigh and didn't know a soul, he's no longer living, but Ray Siegler, who ran Young Life then, if it wasn't for that man of deciding what you're doing, what God has called you to do. And he made a decision. He's like, look, it's going to take some time, but we're going to make this thing happen. Ray died a few years ago, but I just thank him because he was the connector for me and in lots of different places. So that, that's a little bit of, of that that makes me deeper. And for all of us, you know, we need to walk in other people's journeys and histories, you know, read books by people that don't look like you learn about other things. That is critical for us to have the right eyes in the world. That's great. Thank you for that. Lisa Yaboa, Rob, we need to write her down. We need to get her on this podcast. That's mm-hmm. a, that's an incredible mm-hmm. fusion friendship, I can imagine. Yeah, hit all those one-way people up, man. Get them in here. You need to get Iman and get the rabbi, get all those folks. They're, so they're all awesome. <laughs> yeah. Love it. It's awesome. Love it. So we usually land this plane with this idea of just one thing, right? Since our podcast is named Just a Little Play on Words. But like just one thing, right? What's the one thing our listeners can practically do? And you gave some, you just gave some tips. Read some things by people that don't look like you. Like that's a practical thing to do. But there are probably some other steps or ways that our folks, our listeners can get involved with you and your enterprises and the organization today. And so I'm going to let you take the floor on this. I suspect I know what's coming. But there's a lot of ways, very practical ways, things that we're already doing, whether I was just thinking I need to grab my, send a note to my cleaning company. There's ways in which we can shift our dollars and make sure that we're supporting the work within community. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you. What's that just one thing? Well, I appreciate you letting us uh, do a commercial or something, but I would say a more important just one thing is really the idea of the Samaritan passage and how did the Samaritan embody being a neighbor? And he really did two things. He approached the wounded man. And I'm trying to get people to see that passage as bodies, that black bodies in America are traumatized. And when you think about the passage in that way, the passage pulls us deeper in that we have to be connected to discarded, wounded, traumatized bodies. Hmm. And, and so that makes us then the next step that Samaritan did is he approached the man. And so until we can really embrace that idea, the quality of our approach, and when we do that, neighboring only happens when we put ourselves in the path of the broken on purpose. Hmm. When we do that, we both create neighbor and we also prove neighbor. And that is the heart of what I would want to leave anybody that has faith, is that we spend all our time thinking about or defining neighbor, just like the expert in the law did. But the reality is, is we need to be a neighbor. And the depth of that passage, to me, in in my mind, it, it is saying that if we are not connected as Christ-following people to discarded, traumatized, wounded, and forgotten bodies, we cannot be neighbor. <laughs> And what am I doing now? And what am I going to do? And, and that passage makes us approach and roll our sleeves up and provide that kind of hope and get busy doing it. So that's not one thing, but it is one thing. It's critical and it is the thing and it will change the world. It's the most creative force in the universe. It's agape love. And King said agape love doesn't look for value, it creates value. And you think about that as a believer, like we are supposed to not go out there and look for value, 
but we are supposed to look at people just like those people did with me when I was 16 on my basketball court and I didn't treat them well, but they created value in me. And that's what agape does. It loves and imparts value and by loving. So that's what I would say today as an old dude that's 55, the quality of our approach. I love that. Thank you. Thank God this mm-hmm. is over. Right? You guys are like, please. <laughs> no. oh, so much good food for thought. I am for... taking a deep breath, though. It is. It's like a lot to take in. It's all so important. It's, taking... It all matters. Thank you, Royce. I feel like you you gave us so much, and you have no idea of knowing how much this builds on so many of the conversations that we've been having for so long, so. especially this season, but even before that, two and one, Jess. There's so many different connecting points that we've laid a foundation for that Royce has just, I think, really just pulled it all together in a really beautiful way. So, Royce, man, we're grateful for you, grateful for everything that, that you are and what you're doing. And we got to get lunch soon. So I'm coming your way. I'm, I'm going to shoot you a text and we're going to get up. We're going to go hit Jack Seafood and Soul Food. Or we make, is it too much? Can neighbor cater, cater a, a lunch for two people? That's too sure. big of a meal, right? Sure. Let's make it happen. Yeah. I, I'm, okay, I'm okay with leftovers. Yeah, we can go to Jack's. I, I was at St. Aug yesterday. I was thinking about you. Oh, man. We got to get back over there. Oh, that would be good for my soul. Well, hey, we're going to let you go, man. Get back to doing your thing. Yeah. But we're grateful for you, and we're grateful for this conversation. Yeah, thank God. Thank you, y'all. I hope to meet you in person, Jess, one day. Uh, and Me too. I didn't get soon. the invite for lunch, so maybe I'll come at the end and get some banana pudding for a dessert and just scoop oh, in come at the on. Come on. Let's do it. Come on. We, hey, we got, <laughs> hey, let's make this happen. I'm sorry. I'm leaving no, you in Rob the dust like, here. Jess never comes to Raleigh. That's all he was thinking. He's that like, she'll never get over thinking. here. That's not You're true. Just... I'm over in Raleigh about three times a week that, these days. So, yeah, I'll pop I over. I'll join y'all for the back half of that lunch. It sounds great. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Royce. Thank you. Bye, Jess. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, Jess. Okay. I got one idea, and I'm just going to, because I got things, but I don't want to get too deep. Share your thoughts. There was so much to respond to there. I feel like you could pick a thousand things. What's Yeah, you could pick a thousand things. It's sort of like the last thing you say is the thing you remember, but I... And as our listeners at this time are like sick of me saying, but I have all these notes Mm -hmm. and I was looking at the things that stood out. But that last thing I wrote was around agape love and the the Mm -hmm. idea of creating value. And as Christians, not just seeking value, but creating it. And, you know, I reacted to it because it's harder. It's (laughs) it's harder Mm -hmm. to have like real agape love for all things. Mm -hmm. Not just neighbors, but like Mm -hmm. you have to not just like everything yourself for your family for those that have wronged you in the past, the people you don't know that pass you in in your neighborhood and in your community that you've never met. It's hard to actively be active. I mean, this is sort of the whole idea of the podcast, right? Is to sort Mm. of step, move forward, propel yourself, move yourself, create momentum. And I feel like what he was saying there with agape love was just a little bit more profound today for me. It's just a different way of looking at it rather than, also rather than just hoping that you, that things are drawn to you where you don't have to do anything, but like things come into your life and you, you see them when only when they come into your sphere versus Mm -hmm. you actively being in pursuit of neighbor neighboring, which I thought was great. What he said about it's hard to neighbor. You have to see people. I was convicted in, in many ways. My life's pretty, pretty rough right now. I'm running at a really difficult pace and I don't know that I'm doing that well. So much of this was very personal for me. It wasn't like, this is what we all need to do. It was more Mm. like just, is that the way in which you want to, is this the best flourishing? Is this the best way to live your life? Or, and is it just a season and can you just get through the season? And I Mm. think that people struggle with that. It's hard to feel like, how do you integrate rest? How do you integrate neighboring in a real way and not just as an add on? And I, I don't know, there, there are things that probably tools and ways to do that. I just... I haven't mastered it and I'm falling short right now. So this conversation was, was great for me, but it was also, it's, it's heavy because I don't know exactly how to, I don't know exactly what my next right step is, if I can be honest. No, I think that's, we have, we have to do that. We have to just check in with where we are and just sit with it, knowing that maybe the answers will come in time and that's okay. Because honestly, if it was a, that was not a simple conversation. So if your answer felt like, oh, it's just as easy as X. You mm-hmm. probably weren't listening. So it probably speaks to the fact that you were actually were listening and you've got a page full of notes and it takes you more than 10 seconds 
to synthesize those notes because you're yeah. <laughs> you're Thanks, wise friend. enough to know. I'm, 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 I'm going to give you that credit. Come on, we're 50 episodes That's... in. We, I know your process, but I'm thinking, I can't help but think back of like how grateful I am that this is happening on the, the, the coattails of the conversation with KJ last week, right? For our listeners who are hearing this. And I'm hoping if you haven't, you need to go back and, and listen to that one as like the, the precursor to this because it sets it up so well. This theme of neighboring, to build off what you just said, Jess, the, the thing that stood out to me was he's, he defined, he said, neighboring has to do with dealing with people who have been discarded. He mentioned, he's used the term of frying pan for trauma. And these folks that have just have been cast aside on the side of the road, wounded people. And he said, we have to put ourselves in the path of the broken and the discarded on purpose. Yeah. And when we do that, we do two things. We create a neighbor and we prove neighboring. Yeah. And man, yeah. that is what is sticking with me because I want to ask myself the question and I don't have this answer right away as far as what this looks like next for me, but how am I, and for our listeners, asking ourselves the question, which is a hard question, how am I intentionally putting myself on the path of the broken and the discarded mm -hmm. and potentially creating a neighbor and proving neighboring by doing that? What does that look like in my life? I think it's more so a posture that... It's probably going to look something different every day. The point is we got to be asking ourselves that question. Yes. Because how each right. of us define, answer it is going to look different. But I think that also goes back to, to the last week's conversation because we talked about that needs assessment of yep. doing almost this internal audit of our own networks. The needs are there, but yep. are we looking? It's not a question of does the need exist? Is are we being intentional to asking the, that question and going and looking for it and being intentional to put ourselves on the path of the discarded? Because we didn't get a chance to say this, but just to frame out what he mentioned about tackling affordable housing with one wake, since 2010, 60% of the apartments in Wake County that were renting for $750 or less are gone. Wow. 60% since are just gone wow. since wow. 2010. Four, check this out. 40%, wow. 40% of apartments renting for less than a thousand, a thousand or less are gone. Wow. That's so when amazing. he says, if you're a teacher in Wake County trying to find a house, good luck. He's he means it. About that. And, and that applies to a lot of other occupations. And when you talk about yep. people he's working with that are coming out of the prison complex and trying to find a job. It's like when the deck is stacked against you institutionally, systemically, what do we do? And that, and, and one example is what he's doing is he's getting involved with one wake and he's saying, Hey, I'm, we're going to pull together 20,000 voices so that we can build a coalition to speak up for the wounded and the discarded that aren't mm. at this table so that we will try to bake into policy, what it means to neighbor for everybody in our community. And that's just, it's beautiful, but also it's not inaccessible because Jess, yeah. you and I can get involved with that. For you, it might That's be right. Durham can. For me, it might be one wake, but either way, it's in your neighborhood. He rattled off like seven different versions of it in the triangle. Mm -hmm. So it's, you, ain't gotta, you ain't got to look no far. excuses. Yeah, no, that's right. 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 Yeah. So, and I love that it's that partisanship is... That's not this factor, politics right? Politics without party, poli right? Yeah, yeah, we're like putting that politics to the side and really just getting down to the heart of the matter, not getting confused. And we talked about that last week, right? Mm. Letting politics distract us from purpose and yeah. from the practice of neighboring. And he said, that's "No true. permanent enemies, no permanent, no friends. permanent friends." I, I need said, to think okay. about that one. That one kind of seems like a tagline for like a action movie. That was good though. That it really, was, I need to mull on that one a little bit. Double, yeah, I, it was a double down. I love it. The first part, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, totally makes sense. Like no permanent enemies, but then like no permanent friends. Like, what friends, does that one mean? And you're like, I need to think what? about that. I, I, I want to have some permanent friends. I think I know what he means though. Like this <laughs> idea like people who get into politics and they just coast off of this you know, right. good old boy network. You're never questioning or challenging or holding accountable each other because you're just you're in the inner circle. And so it's good for you. So we're just going to protect it. I think that's, I think that's what he meant. That's my, that's how I saw it. It's like okay. the tail wagging the dog. You get a little too comfortable. The next right. thing you know, somebody's driving the conversation and they're like, that's not what we're doing here. Whatever the mission is centered, not you. Yes. So if you're not around yeah. that mission, you might've been last year, you're not this year, then we're not aligned. Mm. And that's it. I think it's alignment. And yeah. I think that's great. And we don't do that enough. We don't talk like this. We're like, we want to, for me, a people pleaser, I wanted everybody to love me all the time. And that's just like lukewarm. And you know, he means, he means it that way because he's someone who's stuck around that whole idea yep. of sticking and staying 25 yep. years on the corner of Blunt and Bragg, Jess, like that is mind blowing. 
It is. And so new for us because usually we're talking to people who are just starting out and we're trying to shine yep. a light on like their new work. Their new stuff. Yeah. And here this guy, Royce comes along and he's like, I've been doing this work for 25 years. And, and that's, he said, I just feel like the door is just starting to crack mm -hmm. where people are just now saying, maybe he'll stick around. He's going to stick around. Yeah, he's going to be here for the long haul. Yeah, he's been there going on three decades. But that's that says a lot. We don't need to unpack that, but that says no, a lot. It does. It I think it speaks for itself in many ways. And yeah. Wow. Well, well this is Jess, good. this is we thought, the I thought this was going to be a short. I thought it was going to be a short debrief. And look thought, at us. We just, just started going. going. And going. We could have kept going. We'll just break. Uh, we'll just break that debrief into 50 mini episodes, and then we'll get to 100 real fast. Okay. No, that's, <laughs> that's, a terrible, that's a terrible idea. No, that's a bad idea. You're right. But hey, the first 50 has been a joy and I can't believe we got to mark that as a milestone and it just feels like it keeps getting better. It feels like we're just, we're picking up our own shovel and we're just digging deeper and deeper. Like mm -hmm. it's crazy to think about mm -hmm. from where we began the journey we've taken with our listeners, this learning yeah. journey that you and I have been on, man, it feels like it's been such a blessing to, to hear so much of this wisdom. It's great. Yeah, this has been great. And congrats, friend. We did it. Five there it is. So we'll celebrate yeah. Jack's Seafood and Soul Food. And, oh, yeah. Or maybe we'll get Neighbor Cater to order it. He didn't say this. I'm going to leave this for our listeners to make it easy for them. He's too humble to do this because he, he joked about giving them a commercial. It wouldn't be a real commercial without actually giving you a tangible like action point. The website, if you want to go and you you know need cleaning services, moving services, got a catering order, order for your business, you need a place, and they're starting a landscaping company, the website to go check out all of what Neighbor to Neighbor is up to in Raleigh, and I think they serve the greater triangle areas, in the number two, and then the letter N, outreach.org, n2noutreach.org. And you can get to Neighbor Enterprises, you can get to what their mentoring program looks like there in Southeast Raleigh. I highly encourage you to take that step just to learn more about their work, how you can get plugged in. And honestly, all of us can become a customer and we yeah. all have needs in those areas or know someone who does. So that's one thing you could do to support and show them some love. It's, it's literally creating jobs that I would say it's one way you could be a neighbor applying mm -hmm. this conversation is go be a customer. It's not yeah. the only way, but I think it is one of the ways we can move towards true neighboring is go, go head up that website and see how you can move some of those dollars around so we can yeah. get to some institutional change one uh, one purchase at a time love it love well it said. let's end there because that's a good that's a good one that's a good next step that's it Thanks, all friend. right until next time you got me thinking about fair food so i'm gonna need to go okay. like deep fry and oreo go here. do the thing and don't tell me about that because i'm gonna I have won't. to yeah, we don't, I'm going to have to worry about you and your, if you have a heart attack between now and then. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me you had a spinach salad. That's what I do. Hey, do. I'm all good. I got I got pumpkin spice Jesus on my side, Jess. So I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. He's, he's looking out for me. Was that uh, the best line of the day? Was, pumpkin spice Jesus. If that doesn't make like, it into oh, the title, Lord. what the heck is our team even doing? That's right. You know, that, that's what I'm that saying. Best that cook great. ever. All right, Jess. <laughs> until next, week, until next time, my friend. All right, bro. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 